because I was I was planning on interviewing Catherine Watt, who Brian and I had hunted down two days ago, and I understand her reasoning for withdrawing, and in so it just in the past. 24 hours, I've secured Lynn Ertel and Dr. Kevin McCarn. And um, I still, you know, the essence of Catherine being on as a paralegal, and um, I do have a lot of respect for her work because it's beyond most of our capacity. And she doesn't mince words, and she directly related her legal research timeline to a military weaponization generated through the WHO as the military arm of the UN. And she also connected communitarian law, which, as you know, myself, Brian, and a few others on RBN have been trying to connect the relevance. And the supranational binding agreements coming from the UN military arm traces back to the WHO's constitution. And um, in Catherine Watt's substack at Ballywick News, um, I was just looking at Article 22 setting forth in Annex 5. There's specific measures for a vector-borne disease. And that went back to 1946. And then 2020 hit, and that was a change. And so, therefore, it set things in motion disabling each country, nation, state, individual states of autonomous choice. And that vector has been redefined. And through misinformation, through the past, over the past four years, you know, it might be at nauseum, we've all been really looking hard at this, but trying to understand how they're defining these terms. And I read in this annex that a party may invoke a fundamental change of circumstance as a ground to terminate or withdrawal from this treaty. So in the United States, we might have that glimmer of hope for each state to opt out, withdraw from the measures going. And it's grounds for suspending this operation of the treaty. So my two guests tonight, I hope we could begin by speaking to this vector because Dr. Kevin McCarn has identified the prion vector, and I want you to introduce Kevin, if you if you don't mind, introduce yourself, your what you know, what brought you to this point, and um, what you're actively doing. Good evening, Kevin. Uh, good evening. Uh, so, just a quick, I guess, bio introduction from myself. Uh, prior to the pandemic, I was a uh, systems neuroscientist working on what's called corticobasal ganglia um, disorders. Uh, these include some of the uh, most well-known neurodegenerative, but also uh, disorders around uh, neuropsychiatric presentations, things like OCD. I was um, I would model these disorders in primates uh, with a you to having them treated via um, brain implants, uh, essentially like a pacemaker for the brain, called deep brain stimulation. Um, I got um, pulled into the pandemic, basically, one, because of early contact. Uh, I, I got infected at the what was essentially Asia's largest super spreading event in South Korea, um, had a very rough time with the uh, initial 
um, infection. And then I started to see what I could, um, what were very obvious narrative control networks being injected into the public dialogue as scientists or a loose coalition of scientists and um, interested individuals were trying to raise the possibility that uh, the molecular biology um, that we could uh, derive from SARS has all the fingerprints of a, uh, a, a synthetic uh, virus. Uh, well, it's technically we'd call a chimera, meaning a mix of uh, different uh, epitope sequences, meaning protein sequences from uh, different um, viral uh, clades. And I was uh, strongly trying to putting a lot of effort into trying to counter the narrative that it was just natural spillover. Um, and trust me, we'll, we'll certainly look at how they would want to use the premise of natural spillover, zoonosis, as a means of instantiating um, control over populations by being able to declare pandemics in this instance. And I'm a uh, of the fundamental belief that if we can pin them down with respect to SARS being of synthetic origin, then we can um, push back against some of the more egregious overreach that we have from uh, some of these transnational and uh, government deep state organizations. Agreed. Yep. And I appreciate your work on this. And I know you've been heavily censored. Uh, so, yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, Lynn Ertel is my other guest tonight. And I have come across her outspoken uh, use of the English language and knowledge of historical events. Lynn Artell participates on fakeologist.com and she came on willing to because she has done a lot of looking into this subject. So Lynn, do you have any opening um, opening words or a short bio for our, our listeners? Well, my background is uh, in software engineering. Um I hold a master's from the uh, Applied Physics Lab at Johns Hopkins University, acquired in the 90s at the time when uh, the first AI, or I, well, I don't like using the term AI, I've always said it was hype and used to laugh at it because there's actually plenty of artificial, unlimited artificial, but very little real intelligence in it. We call it machine learning. So my background is in reverse engineering logic from code. Uh, so I, I kind of reverse engineer a lot of things when I'm studying them. What Kevin is describing sounds to me very much like what Professor Francis Anthony Boyle was saying in March of 2020 when uh, the COVID pandemic was first proclaimed and announced. Uh, he said he had looked at the documentation, and he was convinced that there were chimeric, as Kevin has called them, or artificial uh, genetic sequences that had been inserted 
into some kind of naturally occurring pathogen. And it, therefore, the, bio, the biological we- international biological weapons treaties that he had actually written for the most part, Professor Boyle, he, he, that's his specialty. He's not a medical or scientific guy. He's basically a legal, a legal guy. Uh, and he wrote these treaties, and he said that from what he had seen of the, uh, the presence of synthetic or lab-created features of this new virus they claim to have isolated in from his standpoint definitely revealed that this was a bioweapon and that therefore the treaty had been violated so he was he was calling it criminal from the outset i didn't really want to jump on that bandwagon because i felt like a lot of this was fear-mongering i saw the videos coming out of china in early 2020 with people collapsing spontaneously on the street. And they looked very phony to me. And I looked at the politics of the thing. And then I looked at event 201, the tabletop exercise that they had in, uh, in uh, late 2019. And I looked at the role of the Wuhan military games for staging the narrative and the involvement of the military and a host of other things. Uh, suggested to me that this was really a hoax. Now, <laughs> whether they're really doing uh, bioweapons development in Wuhan, is it a DSL-3 or a DSL-4 lab? And they do have these labs. Apparently, they had a four or five in Ukraine as well. What they're doing, what they're working on, ostensibly, it's bioweapons research. Fauci and Peter Daszak of the Eka Health Alliance set up the staffing and the financing for the research in Wuhan. They authorized the gain-of-function research. But that doesn't necessarily prove to me that the psychological operation that was passed off in the media in early 2020 was legitimate. To me, it's still a hoax. So the question of what sort of bioweapons they're working on, whether they really do spread a transmissible virus or whether that's just bullshit if you'll excuse the expression that's separate separate i think from the legal issue of just what kind of research are they doing at these labs and uh why why was this research outsourced to china where it could be directly overseen by the far-sighted individuals of the ideological warfare department of the people's liberation army and the chinese communist party who did have a problem in Hong Kong at the time. They had an out-of-control dissent situation in Hong Kong with crowds on the streets. And they really did need an excuse to shut it down. And surely, very conveniently, this COVID thing came along and they were able to say, we've got an epidemic here and we're going to have to clear the streets. We're going to have to impose medical martial law. And initially, what the Chinese government was sort of spreading was the idea that this had been a deliberate attack on China, a bioweapons attack on China by the United States. And they pointed to the members of the United States team at the Wuhan military games, who we are told got kind of sick and underperformed at those games. They pointed to that as evidence for this. So you can see I'm kind of dividing, divided on where I'm coming at from this. Kevin is looking at it from a scientific point of view. And me, I'm looking at it as a psychological operation and just how much real science there is behind it and 
what we think about virology and the way in which the PCR process was perverted and twisted and has been historically, according to Carrie Mullis, the inventor of the PCR. I, I have to say the interviews I have watched of Carrie Mullis where he explains Fauci's fraudulent career were very made a, had a very powerful uh, effect on me and came to shape my view of the thing. So anyway, <laughs> in an overly wordy description, that's where I'm coming from on this. Kevin, do you have a comment? Um, I, I would say that generally I'm in agreement with respect to when when dealing with this type of next generation warfare psychological warfare is a big part of it um but the question i would ask is uh why why would they use um what was the aim of that psychological warfare what what was the end goal in in the uh, in the use of um mass mass programming that we did see and what right. was the what was the role of counter narratives being injected into the uh, the public debate? It wasn't really a public debate. There was um, there was one you're going to comply to the orthodox uh, view of what happened, and we know, uh, and I ran very squarely into that uh, censorship early on because of. Um, my contact with that circulating pathogen very uh, very early on, uh, late uh, 2019 in the December. And from my own uh, experience, um, clinical and professional experience, I had uh, uh, insight into what would, what would be called NeuroCOVID now, which is uh, its propensity to attack the central nervous system, and um, it, it caused a um, well a severe state of delirium for me um, during the uh, the febrile state. And so I was trying to warn people as we were hearing about the outbreak in China that it's not just a respiratory. Um, pneumonia as uh, people would understand it and you can look at the scientific literature that goes back uh, to the first SARS uh, viruses uh, other coronaviruses that are in circulation OC43 etc there's uh, four of them that we recognize that circulate um, seasonally and there's a general acceptance within the literature that these are what's technically called neurotropic agents. They have the ability to um, get past the uh, the blood-brain barrier and insert themselves into neural tissue and um, potentially cause a, a whole, a, well, a, a severe, um, severe infection, but also uh, more critically is what we what we now or a lot of people would talk about now um, I've been talking about for a long time is um, inc incapacitation and so in the biowarfare space um, treaties have been signed since the 60s outlawing 
And in this uh, this instance, Professor Boyle is correct. Um, he did call it a bioweapon from day one. I didn't want to step into that space um, immediately. I was um, uh, living in Asia, knowing Chinese science institutions, etc. My the more parsimonious explanation to myself was uh, they've um, they've got lax standards and they've uh, allowed a uh, breach to occur within the laboratory infrastructure. Um, lab origin pathogens have been um, recorded multiple times. It's even happened within the pandemic with SARS-2 um, itself. And this is after it, it had been identified. Um, it had escaped from uh, laboratories. I'm going to say it might have been twice, at least once in um, Taiwan. And but the 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 point being that um, in in a in a environment where uh, the if there's been a decision to go to war. To, and what is war? That it's just trying to achieve political aims through uh, other means than the usual process of of dialogue. Um, of of course, they would um, have in place um, mechanisms to control and um, shape people's perceptions. Now, you know, when people say, "Well, people collapsing in China, etc." People dismiss that, but then they're not. They jump on every sort of public collapse that we have um, these days when someone is performing, be it uh, athletes or uh, performers generally, people who are exerting themselves. So um, I would I would try to have a broader filter at the moment uh, to pass this data to try to actually extract what happened. Wonderful. Okay, we're heading into a break, but um, consequently, unanimously. People um, often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read one. This product has been a godsend for my father, who suffered from a heart attack about two years ago. He was prescribed medications for his condition, which was so serious, he almost died. But he hasn't been able to afford most of the medications. After researching alternatives that were more affordable... He tried Extendivite. Since taking it, he has consistently lower blood pressure and experiences less angina. We are currently on our fifth bottle. I enthusiastically recommend this product, and I am grateful that it is available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Attention freedom-loving patriots. Are you ready to dive deep into the principles that founded our great nation? Join me, Peter Serafin, and the Institute on the Constitution as we light the way to a brighter future with the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. At liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom, you'll find a treasure trove of online courses on the U.S. Constitution, carefully crafted to empower you with knowledge to defend your rights and liberty, whether you're a student, a history enthusiast, or just a concerned citizen. 
citizen. These courses are for you. Gain a comprehensive understanding of our Constitution's principles, the wisdom of our founding fathers, and how to apply them in today's world. As a special offer to our freedom-loving listeners of Republic Broadcasting Network, use coupon code RBN at checkout and get 20% discount on any course. Join the Liberty Lighthouse Classroom and be a part of the movement to uphold the values that have made our nation exceptional. Unleash the power of knowledge and protect what truly matters, our Constitution. Visit liberty-lighthouse.com slash classroom today. Don't miss this incredible opportunity. Use code RBN for 20% off. Together, we'll be the beacon of freedom our founding generation envisioned. Liberty Lighthouse Classroom. Illuminating minds, empowering patriots. Did you know the IRS publicly admits that income tax is collected by voluntary compliance? Get the information you need to help you avoid income tax with these five easy steps. All you have to do is go to avoidincometax.com to get your five easy steps on how to avoid the IRS income tax. Escape the IRS. Let avoidincometax.com help you. We guarantee our five easy steps or your money back. Go to avoidincometax.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jenna Shabudis, sitting in for Angry Castle tonight. And my guests are Dr. Kevin McCarron and Lynn Ertel. And offline, we were just discussing um, Kevin's uh, distinction between a chemical weapon and a biological weapon. Because what he experienced in Vietnam brought up a conversation that we had. And maybe we'll, we want to just jump in with that distinction, Kevin. Sure. Um, it wasn't Vietnam. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not that old. But um, so the, the what's what's the distinction between classical um, chemical weapons versus uh, bioweapons? Well, chemical weapons tend to have a rapid onset and the mechanism of action tends to be singular in the uh, the tissue or organ system that it will in. Uh, it will impact and some of the more deadly agents are um, essentially they're uh, excitotoxins that cause uh, an overload in synaptic um, transmission and people will um, essentially go into paralysis, um, be unable to breathe, etc. There are also the um, cyanide-type um, gases as well, just, to, just to, as a brief brief examples, whereas um, spreadable pathogens will have a slower onset. They, um, depending on the type of agent, um, they obviously have the ability to transmit and the the important distinction i would like everyone to um firmly hold this in their mind is that um the people people seem to think that well if it's a bioweapon its property is there or, or its main goal is to kill 
um, this is not true. The what you're trying, the strategic aim is to, like I say, incapacitate, and the harms done at a uh, population level are one of essentially draining of resources, and the, um, and that's what I think you saw around SARS. It was a high, highly transmissible, highly incapacitating, but low lethality agent. Now, did it kill people? Yes. Um, generally, those who are going to be uh, the more weaker members of society are going to be more susceptible. But the, um, the strategic thinking with these agents, uh, particularly bio, uh, well, chemical agents as well, um, there's the concept of binary um, interactions. So, in chemical weapons, you would you would have two inert compounds come together to form the toxic agent, and there's a um, similar principle that's uh, part of the strategic thinking with um, biological agents, which is well, you can you can have the uh, transmissible pathogen seeded into a population one of a better expression it's the easiest way to think about it in this context but you want to be able to make sure that your ability to incapacitate um, has maximal effect and so this is where the uh, secondary exposure comes in and that and I would put forward the premise in this instance that the secondary exposure was uh, the use of the um, I I'm not going to use the word um, vaccines, but um, gene transfections that we um, that we saw being deployed. And the question we have to ask is, why were they so adamant about restricting access to uh, potential therapeutics and also implementing this new, what essentially gene engineering technologies for as a public health measure? Right. Right. Okay. We have, that was a short segment. We'll be back in three minutes.
truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Are you one of the millions of people who feel like there is a dark cloud hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs? For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. Hemppaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit hemppaste.com slash RBN. Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pouty Arco Super Tea helps build red corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer dies in oxygen. So the tea is great for healthy people because it helps build the immune system and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The tea is also organic and naturally caffeine-free. A one-pound package of tea is $49.95, which includes shipping. To order, please visit drinksupertea.com. The first word is drink, spelled D-R-I-N-K, then the word super, then the word tea. The complete website is drinksupertea.com or call us at 818-965-9113, Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-965-9113. DrinkSuperTea.com. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it, and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. You're on Immunize Wisely. And I'm welcoming you to sign into the chat room if you want to post a comment or question to our guests. To get in, um, type immunize wisely with a Z, I-M-M-U-N-I-Z-E-W-I-Z-E-L-Y dot chatango.com. Sign in and you're welcome to post some questions for our guests. Um, RBN is having technical issues, so if you cannot hear by calling in, 
you can call the office line number, and that's 512-246-9549. And I had read a comment by Charlie in Florida. What they don't want to tell you is that these strings of sequences can't produce a real virus. In other words, it's computer generated and cannot work in real life. So Lynn, you said you wanted to speak to that. Yeah, I think the technical term is in silico. And we've had this argument back and forth about whether something has actually been isolated or not. And that's why I refer to uh, Carrie Mullis, the interviews with Carrie Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize for developing the PCR process, which was not a test, emphatically he insisted it was not a test, didn't prove or isolate anything. All it could do was amplify uh, particles uh, that had uh, uh, amplified specific particles uh, in, in a fluid, in a solution. Now, I worked for five years on hazardous materials for CSX, the railroad. Uh, specifically on a translator that would print out placards because railroad cars carrying dangerous chemicals or even biological materials like medical waste would have to be placarded. That is, there would have to be a sign on that car. So if there was a derailment, the, the emergency people would know exactly how to handle it. So, for example, some chemicals... If you had a derailment and a chemical spill, the last thing in the world you would want to do would be to spray water on it. I think this is the case with lithium batteries, that if they catch fire, you don't want to spray water on it. It might actually make it worse. There are certain kinds of chemical foams you would use. So the generation of this placard that was then uh, printed out and posted on each railroad car was really critical. And... Also, at, at an earlier point, uh, some years earlier for that, than that, I had worked at Bell Atlantic, and during a strike in 1989, uh, I was up in uh, West Virginia, Charleston, West Virginia, doing directory assistance, and they had a chemical spill in Martinsburg. And so I got to see how they respond to a situation like that. What I learned. Um, is- let, let me. Let me. Uh, I'm sorry to interject, but uh, obviously, time's limited as you were using uh, radio network. Um, Let me ask uh, a a question, Lynn. If something is used in industrial processes and is widely available in a marketplace, would you agree that there is a uh, reproducible product that um, is, is being sold by the vendor to interested parties well that may be uh on the other hand if you've got industrial scale hog farming yeah let, and, let me let me let me and, but, and the way you treat the way you treat the waste in a huge industrial hog farming operation in a place like the carolinas or georgia is by dumping chemicals in it the people who would be within a range to smell <laughs> the odor of that hog waste would then also be ingesting the chemicals. And okay, but th- this if, if you're this aware talk, of the this talk about this, this talk about um, uh, chemicals placking and hazardous waste. Okay, so but and let, me, let, let me just finish that point. It, it's important. 
in the event that you had an outbreak of anything, symptoms, people showing up with symptoms, I was told they always send two teams to the site to investigate. One team is a chemical contamination experts. The other team are infectious disease specialists. So they never jump to the conclusion about what's causing the symptoms. Uh, even if you have a train derailment, you don't know necessarily what might be causing the symptoms. Right, because the, the, body's, the, body's, so, response, the body's response to um, uh, initial, be it pathogens or uh, chemicals, is often the, the um, allergic or immune-type responses. But let's try, let's try and be a little more precise rather than trying to use examples that perhaps not germane to this conversation. Well, I think this so, is, so it, do, it is do germane, you, do it is you, germane and, and I'd like to adduce the example it's, it's, I'm it's, talking it's about. It's not. So let's, let, let, it's me, let, me try, let, me, let me try and bring some... Let, let me right. try and bring some accuracy to this this discussion. Uh, well, okay. I, so, do, do you do you, do you think, Lynn? Do you think do you think that gene therapies that are sold, you can go to um, hospitals and um, have gene therapy treatments that are licensed by the FDA? Okay. What do you what do you think they're using for these gene therapy treatments? Well, what do you think they're using for AZT treatments? Well, that are given to you age that's a, that's, a, that's a different that's a different oh, subject. Is it? So, is it a biological so, so when, when, or is it a chemical treatment? It's so a that, that's a pharmaceutical that's a pharmaceutical treatment. But when you go for gene therapy treatment, there's a specific process that's occurring where you're having genes inserted into the organ or tissue system that you're trying to repair. There are last count, I think it was about 10, 10 approved gene therapy treatments where they where they use viruses to get the gene of interest into the tissue. Now, what do you think they're actually using then if viruses are not a reproducible phenomenon in this instance? Oh, I don't know how they what they're synthesizing in the lab and what they're experimenting with. That's a whole that's a whole other question. No, it's, what it's, I, it's, what it's I would a very, it's a very simple, uh, it's a very simple um, acid test. It's a very simple acid test of the phenomenon like of are viruses are viruses real? And if you can use them, if you can use them, you can use them in industrial processes, things like uh, GMO crops, for instance. Uh, they use viruses to insert the genes. To get the genes of interest into the products that they're selling. They also use chemicals, don't they? Um, Actually, they use chemicals to produce these alleged, alleged genetic components, don't they? No, you're you're thinking about you're thinking about the pesticides. You're thinking about the pesticides that they use that make ah. uh, on the on the plants that are more resistant. So that the reason that these crops are GMO crops are used. Is because because they get resistance genes inserted into their germ lines, they're then able to withstand more of the pesticides being dumped on them than the other plants that are growing around them. So you can use far higher concentrations of the pesticide. The reason you can do that is because you're expressing genes that are not native to that species. And so you use viruses to invade into the cell of the plant and insert its genes into the genome of the plant 
So the fact that you have this reproducible technology that they can sell per dose, per, um, per treatment, ipso facto shows you that you have viruses as, again, a mechanism and a technology that is manipulatable. And so once a technology is manipulatable, it means you can quantify it, it means you can um, change it, it means you can do all these things that allow it allow us to use it as a essentially a tool. Well, apparently, apparently you're very impressed with what you take to be reproducible results. I'm not. Um, yeah. I'm not because I could take some. Yeah, so Roundup and- Roundup Ready plants are not a are not a commercially available product. Um, Terminator take- seeds are not a, uh, re- uh, <laughs> a product that's sold globally. Uh, gene therapies to restore sight are not uh, are not products that can be. <laughs> measured and um, the results quantified. I can take some heirloom seeds and I can put them in battery acid and through a selective process, I can isolate those heirloom seeds that can still sprout and reproduce even though they've been sitting in battery acid. So in that sense, a process of selection can occur and I can isolate certain strains of a plant, for example, Let me ask you you this question then. Do you think we're able to analyze the genomes of different organisms, be it human, animal, plant, bacterial? We'll skip viruses on these ones. But those classes, do you think we're able to extract out and understand the genes that make up those organisms? We're getting into an argument about whether genetics is a real science or not, aren't we? Um, well, this is a pretty important point. So is genetics a real science? Well, I think you have an ideological commitment to that idea, surely. No, no, that's your training. I'm, that's your academic credentials. So because, naturally because you're committed I've seen to that these, idea, I've seen course. these things work. I've seen ah. these things work, and I've seen these things being used at a commercial level. Why do so, people wear masks in China? Why do people why do wear people, masks? Why do people wear Korea? masks? Why do people wear masks in Japan? No. Um, that, that's that's a non sequitur of a non sequitur of a question. Lynn, it's a non sequitur of a question when we're talking about does the technology exist to be able to extract the genomes to organisms? Yes or no? I have no way of knowing for sure. They claim that they can isolate. So, so you have no way of knowing for sure. In okay. fact. In fact, right, they so you, want, you convince, want to make statements. You want to make statements to about Anne the veracity. Julie to cut off her breasts because they said they identified the BRCA gene that typically causes cancer. Yeah, Would you have genes. your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter or your mother have her breasts breast amputated because they detected the BRCA gene in your relative? Do you have that much confidence in that kind of identification of the genome? That you would be willing to have a female member of your immediate family have, in perfect health, have her breasts amputated because of the identification of a genetic sequence, the BRCA sequence. That's a well, I, that, that would that would be on the person who's the carrier for those genes. But I'll give you a different example: Huntington's disease. Okay, where we can test for the gene carriers, and if if you're a uh, diploid carrier. 
for the Huntington gene, okay, we know that you will develop Huntington disease and you will die in your 40s, okay, of Huntington's disease. It has a very characteristic disease progression. And we can, um, this is one of those um, nailed on examples that when I try to, when I press people about these issues, um, they, they want to try to, like you do, just suddenly um, try, to sh try, try to throw um, non-relevant questions and uh, straw men arguments into the discussion. So again, I will ask you, is it possible to detect the genetics of an individual such that we can use them as prima facie evidence in courts of law? We can identify genetic sequences, whether they can be precisely correlated with hereditary traits. <laughs> sure, perhaps. But in this case, what we're talking about is a team of infectious disease specialists showing up at a chemical spill and assuring all the people suffering from the symptoms of that chemical spill that they've basically been infected by a new virus or a variant of a virus that these infectious disease specialists have managed to isolate. And that's exactly what they did with the swine flu down at these industrial hog farms. They came in there and they told people they were suffering from a swine flu and what they were suffering from was chemical contamination. Through the um, use of caustic chemicals to control the smell, these gigantic pools, these lakes of uh, agricultural waste, hog waste, essentially. Fecal okay, so, so that's that's your um, take on a particular event that's happened around hog farms. I, I don't trust I, them. I don't trust I, them. I don't trust I, the You're right. You're the right numbers. to be. You're right to be skeptical of um, particularly government mandated um, science and diktats. But the, if you ignore the um, what what is essentially. Um, well-established and reproducible technologies based around genetic um, analysis and genetic engineering. Your, any argument that you try to make with um, someone who's probably going to be less um, accommodating than myself, you, you will just get cut off at the knees. I'm prepared to have this conversation with you. Someone else is um, particularly someone who could perhaps affect policy is just going to walk straight away from you. They have never isolated a virus. According to Carrie Mullis, they have never successfully isolated a virus. And in particular, they never isolated. They never determined that what they called HIV was the cause of AIDS. That's sort of the prototype. You, 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 do, you, do, know that, you do know that Carrie Mullis is on a manuscript where they first used polymerase, polymerase chain reaction. To identify HIV. You do know that's published work. He right? says it was misused, perverted, and twisted, and I challenge your listeners yeah, but that's, that's a, to do that's a Google different. search on that's, Carrie Mullis. That's different. And I, know, I know who Carrie Mullis is. I know all the history behind him. But the simple, what he was talking about is the sensitivity of that test. To he find was talking small. about scientific fraud is what he was talking about, and he made a very strong case for it. Oh, so and he was very adamant what he was, about it. What he was talking and I think he knew about what he was talking that, about. Yes, he knew, he knew exactly what he was talking about, which is that because of the sensitivity of that test and its ability to amplify very small molecules, that 
or, or sequences. What he was talking about is that someone could come into contact with that um, sequence, the, the peptide, in the nucleotide sequence in this instance. And um, you could essentially give a false positive with respect to saying that that person has disease X, Y, or Z. Now, the proper way to use um, PCR is part of a diagnostic screen where it's not the only metric that you would use to make a diagnosis. You would use all other um, established uh, approaches like um, uh, blood tests, etc. And when someone presents with a set of symptoms, so in this instance, particularly with um, viral um, agents, you'll present with uh, what seems like flu-like symptoms, right? Your temperature will go up. You, it's a very um, non-specific response as the body is um, trying to adapt to the pathogen. Now, um, PCR has to be or should be used when you have overt symptoms. And it, what it does is help you narrow down the probability space of what it is that you're dealing with. That's that's the I'm issue sorry, that Carrie Mullins Probability space? Uh, probability, that, like a roll of the dice, basically, right? No. Probability meaning, space. Meaning that when you turn up at the clinic with a high temperature and swollen lymph glands... You're sick. Could, you're obviously sick. Yeah. Yes, you're sick. So you need to try to understand... You need to try to... Um, hone in on what the actual cause of the person being sick is. Why, why can't you assume up front that it's always contagion? That's what they because, do. Because, okay, it dep- on, it, because it's a, a complex clinical landscape. Indeed it is. Very complex. I oh, I and, so, and so um, techniques like PCR enable you to um, shrink down but you're not you're not even willing to concede that the use of the PCR was totally twisted and perverted. No, I tell, you, I tell you exactly what they were doing with the PCR, right? Was in I would put forward the premise that they knew that they were dealing with a lab origin pathogen, i.e., biowarfare agent. And what you do in that instance, because you're trying to get um, full a, a far higher. Um, bandwidth with respect to data and where it's spreading okay you you essentially put the counts up and you don't only just look for people who are coming up and get a hit with counts in the air, in a range where usually 20 20 counts 20 to 20 to 30 um counts per um cycle and Kevin, please excuse me just for one moment. I need to announce the telephone number because we're having technical issues. If people are trying to call into the office to hear the broadcast, they need to call 512-246-9549. 512-246-9549. I'm sorry about that. And we do have two questions for the chat. Okay, let's, yeah, after the hour. Kevin, continue. Um, so um, what, the, what they were doing, I would, I, I would wager, now that we know that we're dealing with biowarfare medical countermeasures industries, which is a multi-billion dollar industry um, driven by um, DOD, is they're trying to track 
in far granular detail where and when the uh, the pathogen is emerging. Okay, so if you get a slight hit with a high count, you can then see when that count starts to come down. That gives you a measure as well, as well as just trying to see if, oh, we just cap the PCR cycles at 25, and anyone um, not showing a positive hit at that count level, we just say that there's no SARS in that environment. So you have to look at it from coming from, uh, it, it's, it's a way of, yes, does it misdiagnose people? Yes, absolutely. But if you're interested in the spread of a biowarfare agent, you would do this approach. You ramp up counts and see when they start coming down versus when you start getting hits within the accepted range for polymerase chain reaction. Okay, I, 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 I'm fielding questions. Um, maybe I'll just interject right now. Um, the one from Vaccine Truth, which is Ingrid, can you ask your guests during a break, preferably if they know what a centrifuge machine is? Mention that Paul Offit admits that it has one of these machines in his office at Philadelphia Children's Hospital. They are used to create the viruses sent to pharmaceutical Wait, they are used to create the viruses sent to pharmaceutical companies. He gathers material to put in the centrifuge machine from the sick kids, mucus, butnam, phlegm, even feces, urine. It's spun out at high speeds, and some of the spun out material is what is used. Um, you're asking me if I know what a centrifuge is? Yes, of course. It's standard lab equipment, and you use it to um, differentiate uh molecules of different molecular weight and as you go through what's called a density gradient um, heavier molecules will stim, uh, spin down to the bottom and lighter ones will stay at the top and you tend to get um, distinct stratifications where you're dealing uh, where you can make a it, it, it's a first step in in isolating and purifying out a particular um biomolecular uh, molecule or structure that you're after. Thank you. Uh, we also have a call coming in from Utah, and we just have a couple of minutes, but we could bring in Bob in Utah for a question on point for our guests. Do we have Bob? Okay. Um, we have another question. How can one find genomic sequences without isolating and purifying a virus first? Where do the genomic sequences come from then? Thin air, trust the science. In I'm sorry, could you, could you say In that silica. again? Oh, sure. How can one find genomic sequences without isolating and purifying a virus first? Where, where do the genomic sequences come from then? Okay, so again, this comes down to pelleting out your um, material of interest.
Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 carcass drop and lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation. But today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth, truth.